So, are you giving anything up for Lent? Last week, a very serious conversation took place in my house. It began with me wondering aloud whether this might be the year that I would give up coffee for Lent. And in order to appreciate what a great sacrifice this would be for me, you need to know that I really love coffee. Every morning, my day starts with a cup of coffee before I confess I even say my morning prayers. So for me, it's a very bold move to think about giving it up. On hearing me wonder about it, my spouse's response was, I don't know, maybe you should give up tea. (laughs) Friends, here's the thing, I don't drink tea. So I share this story because for me following on social media this week, it became clear that Lent is mostly about either giving something up or taking something on. Traditionally, the church has engaged in three Lenten practices, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. It's about much more than me just giving up my coffee. For those of us who choose to fast, how we do it, is very important. Isaiah proclaims, is this not the fast I have chosen to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? So Lent provides us with an opportunity to pause and to think about the lives we choose to lead. We can reflect not only on how we might want to reduce our consumption, but also on the kind of consumers that we want to be. If my coffee is harvested in a way that exploits others, then giving it up for a few weeks misses the bigger picture of the kind of fast that God has chosen. For through fasting, we have an opportunity to reflect on what it means to be human. And our readings this morning help us do this. They set us up at the very beginning of Lent to think about how we are in the world, how we are with one another, and how we relate to God. On this, our first Sunday in Lent, we start right at the beginning of the Bible with the story of how humans listen to a crafty serpent. Now this creature presents them with a pretty good offer, a quick route to becoming like God. Wouldn't that be good? Eat this piece of fruit and you're transfigured into deity. You can see why they were tempted because it's a pretty good deal. But the great tragedy for Adam and Eve is that they seem to have forgotten they're already like God. Back in chapter one, God makes humans in God's image which means that they are, in fact, created to be like God in all kinds of ways, while they wander about freely and happily in the Garden of Eden. But, as we heard, they listen to the serpent and they eat the fruit. Then we are told, the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves they covered themselves up. Their reaction is to hide. 
And it seems to me that humans ever since have been hiding. We're very skilled at it, hiding from God and from one another. How often when someone asks you how you are, do you put on a bright smile and say, I'm good, thanks, or I'm fine, I'm okay. And how often do you find yourself doing this, even when things really aren't okay? I'm good, in our culture, serves a very similar purpose to the fig leaves in our reading. I don't want to speak for the rest of you, but I know that I could do saying I'm good a little less often. But it seems a lot safer to keep wearing the fig leaves. And this ties in beautifully with this morning's psalm. You are my hiding place, says the psalmist to God. This is an invitation to consider taking off the fig leaves and wonder what it might be to hide in God during Lent. The way the psalmist goes about it is to pray. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. There's an expectation of being forgiven in the psalm, we can run to God and throw the fig leaves off, get rid of our, our pretenses and all of the sins that weigh us down. We can say to God, I'm not okay, and hide safely in God, knowing that we're loved and forgiven. And Paul too knows that he doesn't need to hide because he understands that through baptism, the Christian life is hidden in Christ. Therefore, we heard this morning, just as one man's trespass led to the condemnation of all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For early Christian interpreters, like Paul and those who came after him, there's a strong connection between Adam and Christ. In the second century, an early Christian theologian called Irenaeus develops an ingenious way of thinking about this connection, which we tend to think of as recapitulation. Recapitulation understands that God gathers everything up in Christ, in whom all things are made new. Everything Adam did wrong, Christ gets right. Through Adam, human learns to, humans learn to hide, but through Christ, we can dare to discard the fig leaves because our lives are hidden in him. Irenaeus finds parallels between the Old Testament and the New. So instead of Adam and Eve in the garden, we have Christ in the desert. Instead of the serpent, we have the devil. And if we follow the logic of Irenaeus, Jesus Christ accomplishes that which the first humans do not. And consequently, he has no need for fig leaves. In our gospel, we hear of a Jesus who trusts God. When pressed, he stands firm on the fact that he is God's son. He already has everything he needs and he resists the devil.
It's interesting how Satan goes after Christ's identity. If you're the son of God, you will turn stones into bread or throw yourself down from a great height and angels will catch you. In other words, if you're the son of God, you will put on a great show. It's not enough to be like God, you need to prove it. Put on the most spectacular fig leaves you can find. Show the world how amazing you are. But Jesus doesn't know to do it because he knows who he is. He has nothing to prove and nothing to hide. And when we read them in conversation with one another, this morning's readings provide us with an opportunity to reflect on how we are with God and with one another as we journey through Lent. We talk a lot about community at St. Luke's, and I think Lent offers an, an opportunity to think about how we are in community and we, how we might grow even deeper with one another. And we've created a few spaces to make this a little bit easier. At 10.15 on Sundays through Lent, instead of the forum, we're having some smaller groups. Silas, our seminarian, is journeying through the Psalms, and there are some others of us who are thinking about what it means to live a life of prayer. It's not too late to join one of those, or if you're new to St. Luke's, to think about being baptized if you haven't already. Those of us who are involved with thinking about formation here have been intentional about trying to create room for people to engage with one another, to get to know each other a little better, as well as spending some intentional time thinking about our life of faith. A few weeks ago, we had our church meeting and we were given a very comprehensive document that summarizes our values and the vision statement of who we aspire to be as a church. We dream of being a courageous, diverse, healing and justice-creating sanctuary for the heart of Atlanta. There are many ideas and plans for how we might go about this as we journey together. And I'm certainly excited to be here for this part of our St. Luke's journey. And Lent gives us chance to pause and consider how we may, might play our part in this vision. How might we be courageous and create space for healing? One small but significant step towards this is how we interact with one another and with the new friends who walk through our doors. What might it look like if we didn't say, I'm good, if we're not in great shape? If we risk to be even more real with one another? And if we dared to come to church without wearing our fig leaves? Amen. <laughs>